pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Ah, but don't dial right this second because at least four people out there already knew the phone number and called in. That would be Mike and John and Ron and Hank. And they'll be our first four callers, but we'll have room for you in just a little while. Nice Sunday morning out there. Humidity is higher than the temperature right now, I think by a substantial degree. But if you're not moving around too much, if you're not working too hard, it just feels good to be out this morning. It is a beautiful morning. Very calm. And uh, going to get hot this afternoon, but this is still August. But, you know, every day we're marching one day closer to fall, and there's so much you better get done. You better get those tomato plants planted if you want to get a fall crop in. And then, of course, there are all those fall flowers and all the other things, even the things you're not planting in your garden right now. You need to be getting those garden beds ready for all those things that will come along in September. Anyway, if you can't find enough to do, you just call me in a little while, and I'll help you find plenty of things to do to make your yard, your home, your garden a more attractive place. And having said that, well, let's just get started with your questions. And first up is Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, sir. Uh, I was by your uh, nursery the other day and picked up a gallon of that stump remover. Oh, yes, sir. And besides that, what is that other formula that I heard you mention something about some diesel? uh well, the stump remover makes the stump rot away. It's uh, composed of potassium nitrate, which converts that wood fiber to nitrocellulose, which uh, is very soft and spongy and very burnable. Um, to kill, and again, I know it's not organic, but it sure beats things like Remedy, I just use a mixture of like 50-50 diesel and molasses, um, sometimes because those things just don't really stay mixed. You have to keep stirring. Sometimes I'll put the diesel on and then come back a few minutes later and add the molasses. The diesel is what kills the stump. It's very, very effective in killing just about any kind of brushy vegetation. The molasses simply stimulates the microbes that clean up the diesel and get rid of it. Diesel is basically a hydrocarbon. It actually can be broken down fairly quickly by microbes in the soil. So, uh, Anyway, diesel and molasses to kill, uh, potassium nitrate stump remover to rot away <laughs> the stumps after they're dead. It's fantastic. I, I knew it was diesel, but I just didn't recall the other, uh, that it was uh, molasses. Uh. Well, and that's why I try to tell you why as well as what to do. And the whole purpose of the molasses is just to clean up the diesel and get the land, uh, you know, restored to its... Yeah. Uh, to its pre-mesquite, pre-wesatch, pre-hackberry state. <laughs> I don't know what you're fighting, but I fight. I, I don't have much mesquite. I don't have much uh, wesatch, but I sure fight the, sure fight the mesquite and sure fight the hackberries. Um, how far down should I drill a hole into the stump to pour that stuff in? 
as deeply as you can. I use a spade bit, which is what maybe six inches long, something like that. I mean, it's uh, there, there's no minimum or maximum, but just remember what you're doing is getting the uh, uh, the wood fiber into um, contact with the potassium nitrate. So the deeper you're able to go into the stump, the more quickly, more thoroughly the stump will okay. rot. Fantastic. Thank you, Bob. Is that all you need today? Yes, sir. Appreciate it. You get out and stay cool and enjoy. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Oh, yeah. All right. Next up is John. Good morning, John. Yes, uh, good morning. I was your next to last caller yesterday and had a couple yes, more sir. questions. So well, <laughs> glad, you, <laughs> glad you got back through early. Yes, sir. Uh, I just on the malt, we were talking about mulch uh, leaves, cedar bark over the top of it. Right. Would it be mm-hmm. beneficial to spray it with some molasses also to help the decomposing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, That'll... Wh- what ratio should I use in my pump-up sprayer? I usually, for that kind of purpose, whether I'm spraying the compost pile or just spraying the ground or spraying mulch, I go between one and two tablespoons per gallon. Okay. And I have to say between one and two because I don't carry a a measuring spoon around in my back pocket. (laughs) I I figure a jigger is two tablespoons, and I can pretty much visualize how much that is. Yes, for (laughs) for other medicinal, yes. Other medicinal purposes, that right, and and sanitizing, too, of course. (laughs) Naturally. Uh, Okay, the next kind of block, and just real quick, I think other people would find this beneficial, is let's talk, let's Let's assume, which is unfortunately true, I know nothing about growing tomatoes. I want to try my hand at growing tomatoes in the fall. So the first question would be container. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really not able to plant them in the ground because of just sprinkler systems, lines, and things. So uh, just a large pot with uh, regular dirt in it and mix anything with the dirt. Well, the larger the pot, the better. I would consider a 15-gallon container absolutely the minimum unless you're going to plant one of these little, you know, wannabe tomatoes that only grow 18 inches tall. Tomatoes, my tomatoes are, you know, 8 to 9 feet. And so a big pot is an absolute mandatory. And beyond that, you just want to make the soil the same way that you would uh, if it was in the ground. Tomatoes... Uh, benefit, of course, from plenty of fertilizer. Um, I would go ahead and mix some dry granular fertilizer in the soil. If you want to add, I mean, if you want to make it an absolutely perfect growing medium, you can add things like green sand. You can add a little bit of lava sand. You could add a little bit of azomites. You could add a little bit of dry molasses. Those are all just add-ons uh, if you, uh, again, just to make your soil the best in the world. Uh, the When you actually get to plant your tomatoes, uh, the one thing that I do consider essential is in the hole, when you dig the hole to plant your transplant, you want to put a handful of something called rock phosphate in. Actual measurements have shown that it doubles the pounds of tomatoes you'll get from the plants if you put just a handful of rock phosphate in the hole. You don't blend it with the soil. Because of the nature of our alkaline soils, uh, rock phosphate would be tied up in a form that plants can't get to just as soon as it gets blended with the soil so what we do is just put a layer of it there and let the tomato plants grow their roots down through it um Mm -hmm. i guess other things that i would uh advise since you're new to this is tomatoes are one of the few plants that you can plant deeper than they're already growing in the pot they will grow roots Mm -hmm. all the way up and down the stem so 
I set my little transplants. I try to dig the hole three or four inches deeper than the transplant and uh, just bury that extra three or four inches of the stem because I'm going to get that much more root system on the plant. Beyond that, it's just water. I like adding a little bit of liquid fertilizer. Um, uh, every couple of weeks, I usually use Hastergrow or Medina's new fish blend. And the other thing that is not as essential in the fall, it's absolutely essential midsummer, is, uh, is spraying with liquid seaweed periodically because right. liquid seaweed toughens the plant to where spider mites can't get after it. And uh, so I try to do that every couple of weeks. I actually do a seaweed molasses blend, gallon of water. I figure about a tablespoon of uh, about two tablespoons seaweed and uh, one tablespoon molasses. And if you do that, then you're should be growing very good tomatoes. Um, I guess last thing I would tell you, or last two things I would tell you about tomatoes 101, is there are two general types of tomatoes. They're what we call determinate tomatoes, which grow to a certain size, produce all their fruit, and then stop growing. Don't do much more. Uh, those were developed for the commercial market so that people could produce all their tomatoes at one time, pull the plants up, and start over. A lot of them have made their way into home gardens, but they, they just do not produce over a long period of time. Indeterminate mm-hmm. tomatoes are basically vines, and they will grow and produce until they freeze or you know something physical happens to them. Um, last thing I would mention is that uh, the large-fruited tomatoes are sensitive to night temperatures. They don't set fruit when it's too hot. They don't set fruit when it's too cold. And that's why we need to get them planted real soon. We're not worried about them freezing. But uh, if the t- nighttime temperatures are dropping down in the 60s, uh, low 60s, by the time the plants get up to producing size, your big-fruited tomatoes aren't going to set very much fruit. Cherry tomatoes, on the other hand, small-fruited varieties, I guess I should say, uh, they don't pay much attention to night temperature, so they'll just go right on producing up until the freezes. Okay. Uh, now, now if you ever happen to be, oh, yeah. if you ever happen to be over in our neighborhood, meaning Shades of Green on Sunset Road, mm-hmm. all that is written down in a free handout on growing tomatoes that we would happily give you if your if your notes aren't adequate to uh, cover it all. Good. Well, I will actually be there. Uh, what time do they open on Sunday? I at ten o'clock. Ten. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll also be there right when they open. Well, uh, be sure sun, be sure and ask for our free vegetable handout and our free tomato handout. I absolutely will. Uh, how about the sun? I can place these anywhere uh, around our property in the back. In the afternoon uh, gets pretty good sun, but I'll probably put them on our deck. So it, it gets, and I can place it under a little pergolo or something. So if sun at this point, uh, it's quite intense and quite hot this month. Uh, do right. I want to have it in the shade or more in the sun or you know, sun? That's one advantage to growing in containers is you can move them around rather than having to add the shade to the container. Um, right. I would, this time of year, I would have them where they get sun all morning and a little protection from the hot afternoon. By the 1st of September, they need to be out in full all-day sun in order to grow well okay. and produce well. Okay, and then the last thing uh, is types or varieties. This Julian, I believe it was, or Juliana, you talked about with your uh, accounting friend, uh, sounded attractive because a lot of tomatoes would make me very happy. But what <laughs> I'll probably plant a couple. So what types should I try, just two or three? 
uh, well, indeterminate, of course. Yeah, our our problem this time of year is that the uh, growers don't produce nearly as many varieties in the fall as they do in the spring. And uh, we haven't been able to get any Juliets. You could check with Fanix, and, uh, but we all use basically the same growers. I would plant um, the Super Sweet 100 is a good little red cherry tomato that tastes wonderful and produces hundreds if not thousands of tomatoes. Uh, there is one called Improved Porter, which is uh, slightly smaller than a golf ball. It's an indeterminate that is a very, very heavy producer. I planted that with my grandfather a lot of years ago, and we love that. Beyond that, uh, there's a uh, uh, Roma-type tomato called Viva Italia. There's one uh, called uh, Hot Spot. There, those are all bigger varieties here, but... Uh, um, if you can find some sun goals, and I was out looking just a few minutes ago. We've run out of sun goals. Hope we'll get some more this week. But uh, I know there are plenty of super sweet 100s and porters out there, and those would be two that I'd be planting for sure. Um, if you want to do what I do, I plant um, because I use big tomato cages, the 18-inch diameter cages, and I always plant mm-hmm. two plants together. Uh, it just mm-hmm. it doesn't really hurt for them to be a little bit crowded, and I just love a dense forest of tomatoes where I can stand there and you know pick as many as I can eat without uh, taking a step one way or the other. Okay, and then uh, and then when do you normally get your deliveries? I'll probably come up and and, and get the improved porter and a super sweet, and then I'll just kind of try to hit it. I don't live all that far away uh, yeah. when something interesting comes in. Most weeks, Tuesdays, are a good day for vegetable deliveries, but uh, that's if they don't come on Monday. And if they don't come Monday or Tuesday, they'll be there on Wednesday. Wednesday. (laughs) But if I had to pick the one day that they are most likely to show up, it would be Tuesdays. I'm sorry you repeated, although I think it's a benefit to a lot of listeners, but I will pick up the uh, cheat sheets also. And uh, thank you again, and thank you for being there, and thank you for all the advice, including setting up my sprinkler system with the, can't think of their, SA sprinkler, I believe it's called, and uh, yeah. all the things you've SA done for me all these many years. Yeah, Rainmaker, that's it. I'm sorry. But, well, well, thank you, and I'll get off and, and make space for the next guy. I, it's always a pleasure visiting, and thank you very much for everything. It's going to be Ron and Hank and Jeanette and Gary, and it means Ron's up next. Good morning, Ron. Yeah, good. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Uh, good morning. I think you had a man. I think you had a man call in yesterday about killing grass under a fence or along a fence. Mm-hmm. I believe, and I've tried two things, and of course, this is going to have limitations as to uh, nearby plants, the terrain. And so I want to see what you think, but I've used diesel. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you can mix it with molasses and and salt. And I'm talking about the salt you buy in the large bags sure. uh, for your water softener. And if right. you put a layer of salt and mm-hmm. wet it, and, of course, over time it dilutes and, and leaches out. But that, that will kill almost anything also. And so you might say they're semi-organic. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I, it would be organic. Uh, you know, it's it's not a new technique. In biblical times, that's how, you know, nations defeated nations, is they plowed salt into the fields so that uh, they couldn't grow crops, and therefore their civilizations were destroyed. So we're looking back several thousand years that salt has been used as an herbicide, and uh, that's the problem. It With, you know, lots of moisture, it can sometimes spread beyond the area that you want it to. And how quickly it goes away is totally dependent on rainfall and 
as as they still say, the answer to pollution is dilution, and that's what eventually gets rid of the salt. But if you have nothing else in the area and don't plan to grow anything in the area, it's it's a very cheap and very easy solution. And uh, of course, you want to be out in the country where you don't have to worry about irate neighbors. But uh, salt is certainly effective. Um, diesel doesn't really spread the the toxic chemicals that I don't care for, like Remedy. They're the ones that really spread widely through the soil. And again, these are, you know, sort of last resorts, things that I don't use if the fully organic vinegar and orange oil or something like that doesn't work. The other thing that's so tough this time of year is when it is hot and dry, the plants literally shut down. They're just sitting there in sort of a semi-dormant state waiting for some rainfall so they can spring back into growth. And not a whole lot affects them of anything, um, you know, when they're in that state. So I always tell people when you've got grass to kill, when you've got weeds to kill, water it first, get it green, get it in active growth, and then whatever method you choose to kill it, uh, you know, you'll do a very good, you know, very much more effective job on it. The other thing that works, and people do this in patios, uh, uh, you know, in limited areas, but steam is a very, very effective killer of plants. And I remember years ago, the folks out at HomeWorks, and I still buy things from them, but they had me talk about a little steaming device that they use for taking wrinkles out of clothing and curtains and things like that. And as they mentioned a lot of people also use this steam device to kill all the weeds in their patio in limited areas. So that's another thing. If you have a way to generate it and don't have a heck of a lot to do, steam is a very effective plant killer yeah well that's interesting well i've used the salt and the diesel out in the country at my ranch so Mm -hmm. yeah i I haven't used it in town it but but i just didn't know if this guy was if he's listening if he's thought of other options right and the salt is very inexpensive and even if you have to redo it after six months or a year you know it's it's easy to drop that you know it's just like ice cream salt and it's easy (laughs) to spread it you know so Right. Okay, well, it's that, I just wanted to weigh in on that. I just didn't know if anybody else had uh, uh, ideas about using salt and diesel, you know. Well, Ron, it's always appreciated, and that's how we all learn. So thank you for sharing your time this morning. <laughs> you bet. I thank appreciate you, it. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Hank is up next. Good morning, Hank. Good morning, sir. Morning. Got a question. I have a Oh, pre-established oak tree that started losing a branch the other day. I guess I, I talked to you about it some time back now. But I actually trimmed that trimmed that branch off and sealed it up, of course. And uh, mm-hmm. now the whole tree is dying. Uh, I don't see. I don't understand why I have a cluster of oak trees there. And just that one tree seems to have a problem. Uh, is this a, a live oak or a red oak? Li- live oak. Live oak. Yes, and, and is is the whole tree just turning brown and the leaves yes. staying on the tree? Yes, sir. And how how large is this tree that's having the problem? Oh, it's probably fifteen feet high, with okay. a canopy of about oh oh maybe four foot tops. Okay. Different possibilities for things that occur, you know, in nature. Of course, kind of at the top of the list is drought. And one tree just may not develop nearly as good a root system as another tree. And we do occasionally see, because we're in a severe drought, you know, we we get occasional rains. But you dig down in the layer of soil where the tree roots are, there's not much moisture there. 
The second thing that happens naturally is trees, for whatever reason, sometimes will develop girdling roots. It's all, not always a matter of, you know, one that stayed in a pot too long, but trees eventually, you know, may actually strangle themselves or strangle each other because that right. root gets either tightly up against the trunk or gets wrapped around. I know this happened to Howard Garrett, and he didn't realize what was happening, and it literally created a noose around an oak tree, I believe it was an oak tree, in his backyard, and it got to the point that it literally strangled the tree, and then as it started to die, a big gust of wind came up and just snapped it off at ground level, and you could literally see the noose that it developed along around the trunk. And those are those are common things. Rarely is it a disease issue. Uh, if it's a disease issue, you're going to see some signs of it in the other trees before one tree, you know, uh, really shows it. If it's a disease issue, usually in live oaks at least, it doesn't happen overnight. It, you know, uh, over a period of time, the tree goes into a decline and then eventually dies. So um, there are plenty of things out uh, in nature that, you know, are, are just beyond rare control and things we don't know about. Another thing that I have seen on my own property was uh, a lightning strike. And sometimes lightning doesn't hit the highest object around, doesn't hit the tallest uh, tree or building or power pole or whatever else. And I've seen lightning hit and, you know, uh, just it, it shows up. The symptoms show up looking a little bit like oak wilt, and then the whole tree just folds up and dies. Uh, lightning can be, any given bolt of lightning can be relatively uh, low energy or it can be such high energy that it vaporizes the sap and just turns the tree to toothpicks. So I have to throw that out as another force of nature, so to speak, that sometimes takes out a tree without our really being able to understand why. I understand. Uh, so I'm tempted to, like I said, this has been about a, uh, oh, roughly about a year now that it's been acting up. It, it, it got mm-hmm. healthy and then right now it started dying off again. But I'm tempted just to knock it down. And I have uh, right down the street there, right down the property there, I have a, a couple of, uh, oh, maybe two-year-old Monterey Oaks that are healthy. I'm thinking of right. pulling that dead one out and transplanting the Monterey Oak. Is this a, a good time? Should I wait a little further, another month or so? If the trees have been in the ground for two years, I would wait until the weather's significantly cooler. I probably would wait until October or November. Now, you mentioned this tree that died is uh, uh, around a bunch of other trees. Is this spot shady or is it sunny? Because uh going to be a problem sunny. trying to get a tree started if it's real shady. No, it's sunny. Okay. Okay, then you're in good shape. Yeah, you could transfer one of those Monterey Oaks, or you could simply go get a another Monterey Oak. Uh, smaller ones are not really expensive, but I, I would definitely wait until the weather cools off. If you opt to purchase a new tree where you're going to transplant without disturbing the root system, you could do that this afternoon. But if you can dig it up from point A and move it to point B, uh, I'd wait until it cools off significantly. I understand. Thank you so much, Bob. Have a great day. Always a pleasure, Hank. Thank you for the call, sir. All right. Guess I better uh, take a break here so I don't get behind. And I get to talk for a minute about Green Grow Organics and Sam Sitterly. And, you know, as much time as we have on our hands, we don't always have all the time we want to have. We all, at least I do, really have to prioritize what's important to get done and what can wait for a while and what somebody else can do for me. And that's uh, where Sam comes in to help out with lots of things around the yard. 
things that you just keep putting off, getting your fertilizing done. Maybe you've got a disease issue out there that compost tea could take care of. Maybe you really need to get those beneficial nematodes out, but you just haven't been able to get it into your schedule. You know, Sam does this sort of thing for people all the time. That's his business. He's been doing it for close to 30 years, and uh, everything he does is organic. You don't have to worry about the products he uses. You don't have to worry about the techniques he uses. The guy knows plants, knows organics, and uh, that's his motto, saving the world one organic landscape at a time. And he can do as much or as little as you want him to, and uh, just a good guy with hundreds, in fact, probably thousands of satisfied customers out there. No long-term contracts, no big obligations. You just go to his website, learn a little bit about the company, Green Grow, G-R-O-W, Organics, and when you're ready, you give him a call. And uh, following COVID-19 guidelines or whatever, He'll set up uh, a chance to look at your yard with you, either virtually or in person. Talk about the things that he sees that needs to be done. And then you decide who's going to do how much of it. And it's as simple as that. Why don't you uh, check him out today online, greengroworganics.com. Uh, 275-8200 is his phone number, 210 area code, of course. Green Grow Organics. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk to Jeanette and Gary and Omar and Angel. And uh, Jeanette is up next. Good morning, Jeanette. On your radio line. Okay. Good morning, Jeanette. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you today? I'm great. I want to talk about grass. Uh, okay. I understand that I have a lot of, I have, palmetto would be the best grass to grow in shade, is that correct? That is my opinion, either palmetto or delmar. Okay. Um, when would be the best time to put it out, and can you tell me uh, if I want to put anything underneath it or, you know... Well, best time to put it out. It, you know? Best time to put it out is about a year ago. But the second best time is whenever you're ready to. Uh, you can plant grass 365 days a year. Uh, if you plant it while it's still hot, you're going to have to water very, very regularly. If you wait until it cools off, the maintenance is a little easier. But uh, sometimes grass comes in with a little bit of brown patch, which you need to put out some cornmeal to take care of. But I, in planting grass, if you want to put down anything, you can go ahead and put down a little bit of organic fertilizer. It doesn't burn in any way. It'll help get the grass off to a really good start. Do not put compost underneath it. It's fine to put some compost on top of the grass after it's been installed, after it's been rolled. But uh, you don't want compost down at the root system level because those roots need a lot of oxygen. Compost generates a lot of carbon dioxide. So... Really, the only thing that I'm going to do is uh, rake the ground free of as much debris as possible so that your new grass makes good contact with the soil underneath. I would go ahead and put down, oh, it could be Medina's Growing Green or Nature's Creations Premium Lawn Food or Master Gross Texas Tea. Those are all good organic fertilizers and will help with root development. Now, you never use chemical, never use a synthetic fertilizer because that hinders root growth. If the organics would help root growth, lay your grass. If it's any substantial area at all, get one of these uh, heavy water-fillable rollers, roll it to press out any air pockets between your new grass and the ground underneath, and then just water, 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 and you sort of have instant yard. 
So Medina has to grow, right? Would be the best fertilizer. Well, I would, uh, before you plant, I would actually use the granular. I'd probably use Medina's Growing Green. It's a little longer lasting and a lot easier to put out. Okay. Has to grow as a liquid. Right. The Growing Green's a granule. You can just sprinkle around. So I, I might wait till it gets a little bit cooler. You don't have to water it so much. You know, that yeah. might be a good idea. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're fine if you wait till it's a little cooler, but because I don't know of an organic grass farm out there, everybody that produces the grass is going to be using the synthetic fertilizers, which makes the grass a little more susceptible to brown patch in the fall. So uh, if I waited till it was cooler, I would put the grass out and immediately I followed up a little whole ground cornmeal to be sure the brown patch doesn't get started. But I tell you, it's a lot easier on you <laughs> if you wait till it gets a little cooler. Are we talking a big area or a relatively small area? Um, I would say it's like maybe a 50 by 50. Okay, so I have it's a lot a of trees in my backyard. Yep. I have a lot of trees, and it's real heavy shade, so, uh-huh. you know. Do you know the best well, place to buy that grass would be? What, what is your preference on that? I tell you, not no one is perfect in the grass business, but I, the best grass that I have seen recently has come from Thomas. I think it's Thomas Stone and Materials. Uh, they their home office is out in Spring Branch, but here in San Antonio, they have a, a location uh, right at the corner of Redland Road in 1604. So uh, they they have been the most consistent as far as uh, having quality grass. It does need to be planted immediately. If you're going to need that much, you may want to see about having them delivered if you don't have a trailer or a truck that you can carry it in. But remember, it can't stay stacked on the pallet any time of year. It needs to be planted the day you get it. So line up plenty of friends and make a party out of it. I'd like to talk about not palmetto, but uh, the the tree that you get from Hawaii that they make the lace out. Yeah, the plumeria, frangipani. Plumeria, that's it, yeah. that's it. It is so big, it's become a tree. <laughs> but I wanted to make some cuttings out of that. How would I do that uh-huh. and when would I you would want to go ahead and do it uh, fairly soon, as soon as you feel like you've gotten most of your uh, summer flowers, then you can go ahead. You're going to normally, the people that propagate plumerias take cuttings that are about a foot long, and they will let them stay in a shady area, but they'll let them just lie there for two or three days so that that cut wound, the end that is cut, uh, it does what we call callousing. It sort of seals over, it dries, and then uh, they will root them. People that have their grandmother's green thumb just stick it down in soil and keep it warm and it roots. I tend to root them in perlite, the white volcanic material. It's uh, like 100% successful that way. But uh, just just as soon as you feel like they've done the majority of their summer flowering, you can take your cuttings. But uh, like I say, do let that new cutting callus, let it dry before you put it in your rooting material, and you should have close to 100% success. And when when would be the best time to do that? Would you think? Um, you can do it almost any time. Um, you can do it fall, 
winter or spring. I don't, uh, again, in the middle of summer, I hate to interrupt the flowering, but uh, if you do it after the weather cools off, you'll be much more successful if you have one of these warmed rubber mats that has like the electric heating cables through it. We call a propagating mat. Uh, cooler weather, plumeria roots much, much better on a propagating mat. Warm weather, um, you can just, you know, put those pots almost anywhere that gets a fair amount of light that you can keep them well watered and they'll root pretty easily for you. Okay. Yeah, it's getting big. My goodness gracious, that thing is huge. <laughs> well, you're a good gardener, and uh, that's what tends to happen with many plants. When you take good care of them, they just keep growing. Well, I don't know. I, I'm all organic, and um, I use that magic fairy dust that I get from, you know who Bob Webster is, right? <laughs> I've heard of him. I've heard of him. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But anyway, I use that, and... Uh, for anybody that's listening, that is magic fairy dust, believe me. It is wonderful, and it's one of his. So, little uh, advice there, you know. Sure. All right. Well, sure. thank you so much, Bob, and you've. Uh, I'll do get to work on the grass then. You uh, get plenty of help and uh, make a party out of it. And uh, oh, if don't you... worry. I believe me. Kids <laughs> Back in the days when it was. When it was all right to tease people before we had to be so politically correct, uh, I would tell people things like, now, if you've got a bunch of Aggies doing the work, you want to always be sure to remind them that it's green side up. But that probably would be very very improper of me to say these days. Oh, that's great. That's great. You get out and have a good weekend. Thank you, Jen. And you, too. And thank you for all you do for our community. And I understand that you're going to be on the – you're going to get your name in lights here pretty quick, right? (laughs) I don't know about that, but uh, I was very honored to be voted into the Broadcast Hall of Fame recently. So who knows when I'll ever get around to doing inductions, but it's uh, it's quite an honor. That's an achievement, believe me. And I certainly appreciate it. Congratulations on that also. Thank thank you so much, Thank you again for everything. I appreciate it. You're certainly welcome. Certainly. Goodbye. All right, let's go ahead and talk to Gary. Good morning, Gary. Morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you today? Doing good. I had a couple quick questions. Uh, what's the name of the product to uh, insulate the plants during winter when that comes up? I use a fabric called, <laughs> appropriately enough, Insulate. It's the letter N-S-U-L-A-T-E. It's what we call okay. a floating row cover, and uh, there are a lot of brands out there. Insulate is just reasonably priced, easy to use, and it's been the one that's most effective for me. And I use it in the winter for uh, for cold protection. I also use it in the spring to uh, set up my little tomato plants and things like that because it really cuts down on uh, the damage done by cold winds and all. Okay, I'll just plan ahead for that. Uh, yeah, I'm also doing a small landscape job at the top of my driveway. Uh, I'm going to plant some plants up there, but then I want to put a layer of mulch on top of that. Uh, and living in Bernie, I was considering going to the mulch yard and picking that mulch up. Uh, but I was concerned about what all they mulch and put in that. Do you 
would you see a problem with some of that stuff or or not? You know, as a mulch on the surface of the ground, um, it's, you know, cheap is, is fine by me. And uh, most, probably 95% of what goes into what they have there at the uh, Brush uh, uh, Recycling Center in Bernie, about 95% of it is cedar. You are not likely to get anything unfortunate in there, except maybe occasionally a little bit of poison ivy. So I would certainly, um, if I'm going to be, you know, physically handling it, uh, if it's still, you know, kind of fresh and green, I'm going to wear rubber gloves or something like that if I'm actually going to be getting down there and spreading it by hand. If it's really dried, you know, I'm going to wear leather gloves. But uh, you're, you're not likely to come into, you know, anything that's really... Uh, undesirable there. It's it's pretty clean stuff. Everything I've ever, you know, and and I know the guys that do it, and know a lot of people out there very well, and they do a, a really good job of it in Kendall County. And uh, it's basically free. You may tip the guy a few bucks for loading it for you. Um, if you want to make it a better mulch, mix a little bit of compost with it. I figure about one part compost to five or six parts of mulch, and then you've got as good a mulch as you can get anywhere. Okay. All right. I was concerned maybe like. Oak will with oak, oak wheels that they yeah. ground up a zero old oak tree or something like zero that. Zero problems. No no danger okay. of uh, spreading it. Number one, um, the only oak tree that you know makes the spores that spread oak wheels is the live oak rather than the uh, I'm sorry, it's the red oak rather than the live oak. And once it has dried, um, those spores are you know inactivated. Uh, there's no danger of spreading it, and that material is going to be dried enough within 24 hours that uh, I would not be at all concerned. Okay. Well, that answered all my questions. Thank you, and a great show. Appreciate it. Well, I thank you, Gary. You get out and have a good Sunday. And uh, let me take one more break here, Chris. And I don't have live on the log, so let's just run the recordings and get back and visit with Omar and Angel. And I know we go on down the list there. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to the phone line. It's going to be Omar and Angel and Yolanda. Omar is up first. Good morning, Omar. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good, sir. How are you today? I'm not too bad. I started 144 plants and got. A, I'm sitting at about 89% of them getting up and growing. So we're, i got what? more than I, I need to do with it. <laughs> I know what this is. <laughs> You've got a few to share. You're yeah. doing well. That's not that's, a that's, that, that's uh that's not quite up to an A, but that's a very high B plus at uh, eighty nine percent rating. Yes, sir. Which is fantastic because I've always been a C student. So. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, the reason I called it, I, I should have called yesterday. There was a lady that called, and y'all were talking about hydrogen peroxide, and, and I just didn't mm-hmm. get around to calling yesterday. But there is a website called James Direct. And which sells okay. a lot of books on uh, on uh, hydrogen peroxide and this and that, but there's a uh, in particular there's an author named Emily Thacker that has books on uh, hydrogen peroxide, and they're they're short books, very informative on you know it goes from anywhere from medical to home to ranch on on uses Emily. and, and it, Emily. How, how do you spell that last name? Thacker. T H A C K E R. Just like it sounds. Okay, yeah. I'll make your notes and, as we go uh, here. Very good. Lots of and mixing ratios and you know that kind of thing. So it it, it lays out exactly uh, what to do, but it uh, it's got a lot of good info. And they're short books, you know the you know just simple simple reading. Uh-huh. But uh, you know I've got 
one on it's called the magic of hydrogen peroxide i've got one that was uh, uh cayenne pepper cures and then there's a really good one on vinegar both uh okay. you know your home vinegar and, and apple cider but anyway i just wanted anybody else listening just wanted to pass that on there's a lot of good books on that on that website and buy that author and it's uh james direct and the yes. author is emily thacker i've got it written yes. down and i'll be checking it out next time i sit down at a computer all righty sir well i appreciate it I appreciate you sharing, Omar. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> we'll yes. talk again. Okay. Um, we've got time to talk to Angel before the news break. Good morning, Angel. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, um, sir. The problem I have right now is I've got some Silverado sage, and I've got a Mustang grapevine that's growing, and it's got vines all over it. The, the base right. of that, it's right at, inside the base of the trunk. What's mm-hmm. the best way to get rid of that? Oh, man, that that is a tough one because, you know, when it's growing in among uh, other things, um, I've got a grapevine I've been <laughs> I've been abusing with pruning shears for about five years trying to get rid of it, and it just keeps getting bigger. Um, what I would think about doing, how close is it to uh, to the sage? Oh, it's it's right there. It's right inside of it with it. Yeah. You know, you, you, there's there's nothing chemical you can do, uh, organic or otherwise. I would think about um, cutting it off um, as low as you can. Maybe leave about a three-inch stump sticking up out of the ground. And then I would put, uh, and this sounds crazy, but... I would put like an aluminum can or something like that over the top of it. I'd try to have it all the way down to ground level. Um, this will, I mean, it's going to try to sprout out 20 times. You're probably going to have to pull it off and cut it back. But you will eventually stifle it that way, and uh, it'll eventually give up and die on you. And I've always found that to be more effective than just trying to cut it off at ground level again and again and again and again. Um, if you want to, does uh, is the trunk the the stump here going to be two three inches in diameter? How big is this Mustang grape? Actually, it's maybe about oh, I would say about two inches, inch and okay. a half, two inches. Yeah, you can drill some holes down into the trunk, and um, uh, you could try putting directly pouring a little bit of your vinegar and orange oil mix down into the hole. Uh, you could, um, uh, you know, put some stump remover or potassium nitrate in there, which is going to uh, reduce the vigor and start it kind of rotting, but this is not going to be anything that you're going to take care of all at once. This is going to be sort of an ongoing project to uh, get rid of it since it's gotten so big and well-established. Grapevines, especially those Mustang grapes, are real survivors. I mean, they they put up with the heat, they put up with the drought, they put up with all kinds of abuse, but when you try to get rid of them, it can be a little challenging, and when it's right up against plants you want to save, you're you're a little handicapped in what you can do about it. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that's fine. I guess so. Just something I have to work on. Um, <laughs> another question I got is the other Silverado sage that I've got right now. They're in full bloom. They're blooming yes, real sir. real nice. But um, when's a good time that I can go in ahead and start pruning them down a little bit? Because eh, my <laughs> wife wants them pruned down some, and they're a little bit they're a little big. Yeah. You've got a choice. Um, if you're going to do it in the fall, 
uh, you need to do it early, like uh, end of this month, early September, and you may sacrifice some flowers to do that. We don't want to do it later in the fall because when you prune it back, you stimulate new growth, and then that new growth takes a while to harden off, so you run the danger of freeze damage. The very best time to do it is early spring, and by that I mean usually mid-February because that way you're you're pruning just at the time that it's about to come back into active growth. And if you can talk her into putting it off until then, uh, I just sort of put Valentine's Day in your mind. It's a good time to prune the Silverado sage and most other summer flowering plants. That would be the best time to prune them back. Mm, okay. I don't know if I'm going to have much luck with that, but I oh, guess right. as soon as the, the blooms... <laughs> drop off i'll go ahead and prune it down some and if and if you need to just do if you need to do just a light trim you can do that almost any time but if we're talking about you know taking off uh six inches a foot of growth anything like that it would sure be better to wait until spring if you can okay all right well she was listening in so hopefully she heard that (laughs) (laughs) well i'll give you a written recipe uh a a note to take home to uh to mom if uh, if she doesn't believe you uh so you get out and have a good sunday (laughs) and i appreciate the call thank Thank you very much my pleasure goodbye all right only about 30 seconds here until news time so if you're looking for things to do, it would be a great day to put some fertilizer out. Most people haven't fertilized since mid-spring. And let me tell you, get your plants through this hot weather. Having proper nutrition is really very, very important. So, uh, again, don't use that synthetic stuff. It's too easy to burn this time of year. But you get organic products. You don't even have to water them in, and your plants will really appreciate it. And don't forget to feed your houseplants while you're at it. You'll probably want to use a liquid fertilizer there. But if you want them to really thrive and grow and and be at their absolute peak. Feeding, fertilizing is very important. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, it's a little after 9 o'clock, and it's time to get back to gardening once again. Uh, Clouds hanging on for a little while this morning. Pretty darn nice morning out there to be enjoying. And we're going to talk to Yolanda and Janet and Robert and Joe. Yolanda is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Webster. Nice talking to you. It's good to talk to you. And as I always say, Mr. Webster was my father. I'm Bob. Sir, I have two questions. One is about a mountain laurel. Okay. It's a well-established tree, Mm -hmm. but it's uh, it's close to the to the house, probably about a foot from the from the foundation. Okay. Would it cause any damage? No. To no, it? nothing to worry about. Is your home on a slab, or do you have a pier and beam home? It's a slab. Yeah, no that that Mount Laurel is it has ninety nine point nine percent of its roots are growing away from the slab. Uh, when they pour a slab, they put something called a grade beam around the edge that goes much deeper into the soil, and uh, that Mount Laurel will not harm your slab in any way, form, or foundation. Now the top of it may get up to where it rubs against the soffit against the eaves and you may have to trim it back away so it doesn't harm the shingles and you know things up there but it's not going to hurt your foundation uh you know now or 50 years from now it'll still be fine oh wonderful i love that little tree (laughs) another question (laughs) another question sir uh 
my daughter has moved into a rental home, and it's, uh-huh. after she's in, it's infested with roaches. Okay. She has she has pets. She wanted to go to one of the stores and buy chemicals, and I said, uh-uh. No, There's something you mentioned in the past, maybe about a Bayer company that makes uh, some chemicals that can be used safely. Or what well, do you suggest? You're you're a good mom, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I what I you know use is just orange oil, just orange oil and water. It's a great cleaner. It's a great insect killer, and I just spray that around, and it will take care of ants. It will take care of roaches. It will take care of silverfish. Um, and you know, you, it, it, they won't go away overnight, uh, but it certainly will get them under control. Now, places like under the refrigerator, under the stove, where she's not going to be sweeping or vacuuming, I put out a little bit of diatomaceous earth. And uh, the roaches walk through that, and it will kill them, but it's harmless to your pets. If you want to create sort of a bait that will draw the roaches in, you can mix a little bit of sugar along with uh, something called boric acid, and you can make a bait that uh, the roaches come in and eat. And once again, it's not going to hurt your pets, but it's an abrasive that uh, will kill them. So you can make a bait either with uh, sugar and diatomaceous earth or sugar and boric acid, but I just put that in places like, I like to say, under a refrigerator, under a stove, uh, where I'm not going to be worried about sweeping or vacuuming very often. What about sugar and baking soda? don't think it'll do anything. Baking soda doesn't. Uh, There's not much of anything in there that uh, uh, might make the roaches burp, but it wouldn't kill them. <laughs> that's what that's what somebody <laughs> talked to you. He's been using that. No wonder it's not working. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything in baking soda. Uh, people, I don't know. It, it sometimes something weird works for one person, but uh, I've never known anybody to successfully use baking soda. Um, uh, for that purpose. Well, I'm so glad I, I called you then. You have a good well, time to be so and I appreciate what you do. Thank you. It is my pleasure, Yolanda. Thank you for the call this morning. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, another lady up next, uh, Janet. Good morning, Janet. Good morning. Good morning. I need to uh, cut back an euphorbia. It's too tall to fit in the house in the winter, and I wondered uh, when I should cut it. Uh, you can cut it uh, this afternoon. Euphorbias okay. can be can be trimmed almost any time, whether it's a poinsettia, whether it's a pencil cactus, whether it's a red bird plant. Uh, I think they're better cut in warm weather. Do you plan to root the cuttings, or do you just want to reduce the um, size? I'm not sure. I have okay. another plant, which is a uh, uh, crown of thorns, and I'd uh-huh. like that's, to propagate yeah, that's that. That's euphorbia, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it's... You, uh, it, uh, it was uh, so poor uh, in the house, and I got it outside, and now it has about 20 sprouts, and I'd like to get it smaller <laughs> in, but also root a few of them. Well, so, uh, on, on any euphorbia, whether it's crown of thorns or anything else, when you take your cuttings, mm-hmm. let them dry for a day or two before you put them in your rooting medium. 
Uh, most all of them are going to have a milky white sap. They're going to bleed a little bit of that around. It's uh, It'll be very sticky, so you don't want to get it all over you. And, and for some people with sensitive skin, it can actually cause skin irritation. But uh, let your cuttings dry for about 24 hours, and then you should be very successful rooting them uh, just in a container of perlite, the white volcanic material. Yes, yes. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. You are certainly welcome, but don't put it off. Right now is a good time to do it before it gets any well, cooler. Well, it was so hot, I thought, oh my gosh, it'll it'll kill them. Well, you're not going to you're not going to be cutting them in half. You're just going to be giving them a modest haircut uh, yeah. to get them down to a reasonable size, and nothing at all wrong with doing that right now. Very good. Thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Janet. Thank you for the call. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, running through calls pretty quickly here. Robert is up next. Good morning, Robert. How you doing, Bob? I hope you're having a wonderful day today. You know, every um, day is a good day, and this is an especially good one. My dad always used to say, "If you're alive, that's half the battle." <laughs> that's that's the beginning point. You got to start out that way for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I'm a non-gardener. I know nothing about gardening, about raising things. Your, your listeners are thousand times smarter than i am uh so well, but I you know enough to call me and let me help you so you're you're already <laughs> off to a good start <laughs> my wife kind of forced me to plant grass so uh, i would say about four to six months ago we i was looking for a grass that uh didn't take a lot of water and mm-hmm. uh this gardener friend of mine uh through uh, kind of suggested something called like a soya type grass Zoysia, and, yes um, uh-huh and uh, I went ahead and, uh, you, you know, like half of America looked at YouTube and thought I was a professional and got my tiller. And I did all, I have a very small yard. Uh, I tilled the whole front yard, turned it over, and then he told me to put some fertilizer. So I put fertilizer, and then uh, I think it's called sod, uh, sod where mm-hmm. they come in squares. Right. And uh, I put them all down, and uh, I started watering it every day. And I would say uh, the first maybe month, man, it came out pretty green. I, I was very proud of myself. I said, man, you know, I, I may just go buy a ranch or something. And um, <laughs> then it started turning on me. The heat started coming on pretty strong. And right now I'm, I'm outside looking at it. And uh, it's I have patches of green. And a lot of dry patches, and I'm thinking, is that something I did, or is it, did I buy bad grass, or or how, what did I no, do if wrong? It, if it was if it was bad grass, problems would have shown up a lot sooner. How often are you watering now, Robert? Right now, I'm trying to do an everyday thing, but the, you know, we have a, a two working family. My I work, my wife works, mm-hmm. so we're we're watering roughly maybe two times a week and if we're lucky okay. three times a week okay and are you watering by hand or do you have a sprinkler how do you water uh by hand i'm not i haven't got the gardening thing yet with the with okay. the pipes and everything but right now i'm with my hand yeah, um, twice a week should be plenty, wa- plenty often enough to water, but it's very hard to water thoroughly enough. And the thing about zoysia grasses is they are drought tolerant, but if they don't get the water they like, they're going to turn brown. Now, in most cases, when they get water, they're going to green back up again. But uh, zoysia and Bermuda both, um, 
they you, you have to water them if you want them to stay green. If not, they're going to turn brown, even though they probably aren't going to die. Now, what I would suggest doing: go to a nursery, go to you know. Uh, uh, garden center, wherever, and get a uh, you know one of the little sprinklers that you can put on the end of the hose, and mm-hmm. you're going to be able to when you're watering by hand, you're you're watering the upper layer of the soil very well. When you can actually put that sprinkler on and let it run for a while, you're actually getting the water down to the roots of the grass, which is where it needs to go. And what I would do is when you get your little sprinkler, put it out there, turn it on, and put a little, you know, straight-sided jar or cat food can or anything with straight sides and time how mm-hmm. long it takes to run about an inch of water in there. And that's how long you need to let that sprinkler run in, uh, you know, you have a small yard. You may be able to just uh, water it all at one one setting or you may need to move it from place to place. But you need to put down an inch of water each time you water, I would do that probably for the next 30 days. And after another 30 days have passed, you can come back to watering once a week. And as always, you should do just fine. But you just need to get a little more thorough watering in there. And it's going to read up and do much better for you. And last question, is there anything you would advise me? Because I hear so much but I, uh, on, on your show about feeding the grass or, or, or something to that effect. At some point, yeah, and uh, you can do it any time. I would get a good organic fertilizer. One of the most readily available ones is called uh, Growing Green by Medina, and uh, mm-hmm. any you're going to find that at any nursery or you know lots of lots of home stores and places like that. Uh, there's another good one called uh, Landscape. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, premium lawn food. It's by Na- uh, Na- uh, Nature's Creation. Uh, there's another good one called Texas Tea, T E by Maestro Grow. But probably the easiest one to find is going to be uh, Medina Granular. It's called Growing Green and uh, does not have to be watered in. You just put it out when it's convenient for you, water on your regular schedule. It will never burn and it will really perk your zoysia up. And that would be like every month, uh, every no, week? No, no, no. I'd, I'd do it uh, every three or four months. Gotcha. Uh, are you located in the south side of San Antonio? Uh, where's your no, we're, we're, we're out near the airport. We're uh, If you know where the quarry market is, we're about yeah. five blocks from the quarry market. We're about uh, equidistant between the quarry market and the, uh, uh, and the airport. Um, uh, okay, you, I, I will look for you. I appreciate it, and I think my wife's going to love me again. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I, it, if she discovers our nursery, it may be hard on your bank account because uh, I'm t- I had a man tell me one. I had a man tell me one time. He said, "You know, I see all these bumper stickers that say my son and my money go to A and M, my daughter and my money go to Baylor. I want one that says my wife and my money go to Shades of Green." So, <laughs> consider yourself forewarned, and uh, you get out and have a uh, have a great Sunday, Robert. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. You be very careful out there. Thank you. God bless you. Bye. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. All right, let's get a quick break out of the way here, and then we'll talk to Joe and Mary and Bernice. I get to talk to you for a moment about Rhonda's Nature's Way. We've talked about keeping your yard healthy. Let's talk about keeping you healthy, and that depends on so many different things. And, you know, this day and time, I think it's just one of the most important things you can possibly do is keep your immune system healthy. And I don't mean going buying something off the grocery store shelves. 
I mean, talking to someone who knows about good products, who knows about good health, somebody with about 40 years of experience in helping people lead a healthy life. That's what I did. I went and, uh, and talked to Rhonda and said, okay, what's going to be the best thing I can, best supplement I can take to support my immune system? She handed me this, uh, this bottle that's called Immune Formula, and you would not believe all the good stuff that's in there. Of course, I've turned to her for help with a number of different things, for quality vitamins, for just different things to keep that good health, to keep that energy level up. And I'm blessed to not have too many issues, but if you face sleep issues or digestive issues or even mood issues, don't be running to the doctor for some pharmaceutical thing. Go by Rhonda's. She will have a natural solution for you that works better, no side effects, and uh, just, I don't know, I just love feeling good and having the energy to do whatever I want to do, and Rhonda certainly helped me with that. She's also carrying now the electrolyte solution that I work. I work out in the sun. I drink a lot of water, but it's very important to have those electrolytes. I don't want all the sugar that you get with the sports drinks, so uh, I I drink something called Ultima. It's just a powder that goes into my bottle of water about six times a day. she got a good supply of all the different flavors of it over there and zero sugar. So it's not going to put any pounds on you and it's not going to suppress your immune system. So many good things at Rhonda's Nature's Way. You can't go see her today. They're always closed on Sundays. Monday through Saturday, though, they are there to help you. Southside Store on Southwest Military, Northside Store in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 in Callahan. Go see Rhonda, Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to the phone lines. We've been talking to Joe and Mary and Bernice and Lloyd. Joe is first. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing this uh, um, Sunday morning? I'm doing well this Sunday morning. Hope you are as too. Yes, sir. Doing well. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, one of my questions is, uh, I have some shrubs, kind of like, like Chinese, uh, the boxwoods. Okay. Uh, and I noticed, uh, about a month and a half ago that leaves were turning brown. Mm-hmm. And I figured, okay, maybe they need a little bit more watering. So I, I was watering them pretty good and stuff. And, I wasn't seeing any progress, so uh, I fertilized them with uh, some growing green and uh-huh. continued watering. However, uh, unfortunately, it didn't help. Uh, they they pretty much, at least two of them died. So I, when I yanked them out or pulled them out, uh, I noticed that uh, I had some those uh, grubs mm-hmm. and, and 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 a little bit of termites also on the on the roots. Okay. So, what do you what do you recommend? I mean, uh, I I also threw down some uh, some of the 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 grub the grub X that that okay. sold at Lowe's and Home Depot. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess uh, it didn't help too much. I mean, what can you know, I the, do for that? Because I my other boxwoods are doing okay; they're green and everything. But yeah, I just don't want the same issue, you know, with those. Well, the thing about boxwoods is once they start showing the signs that they're getting too dry, it turns a long, it takes a long time to turn them around. Those roots got too dry. A lot of those roots died. And so they may go down in a week and it takes them, you know, six months to really come back. The termites were after the fact. Termites don't eat live roots, but once the roots are dead, termites just went in there to clean things up. 
The grubworms may have had something to do with it, but um, most of the time that you see the bigger grubworms, they're already through doing their eating. They're already through doing their damage. So I think the the main thing that uh, that happened was they just they just got too dry and they went down too far, uh, and now you know the ones that weren't. Uh, really, really bad off. They're perked up and they're doing great for you. I would just continue watering very, very thoroughly about once a week or so. I probably, oh, it's probably going to be spring before you really have to worry about it, but I would put down some beneficial nematodes because they will certainly take care of any new grub worms that show up. The old grubs that are there now, they're through eating. They're just sitting there waiting for spring to come around so they can turn into June bugs, go have a little fling, and start the cycle all over again. So I think you've turned the corner on the problems uh, with your boxwood. And at this point, I'd just be watering and fertilizing. Uh, if you decide to replace those two that didn't make it, now you may have to water them every day or at least every other day until they get well established. But your ones that have been in a while, um, probably once a week watering, but be sure you water really, really thoroughly. Uh, maybe once a month or so, get a little liquid has to grow or something like the, that, just a good fertilizer to put on. And, you know, two, three months from now, you're not going to know they ever had a problem. They're going to be perfect again. Yes. Uh, about those uh, beneficial nematodes, uh, what what exactly do you recommend on that? Well, the ones that we like come on a little blue sponge. You just uh, uh, just soak that sponge in water for five minutes or so. And if you're spraying your whole yard or something, you'll probably use a sprayer that goes on the end of the hose. If you're just wanting to protect your boxwoods, you just put them in a watering can and uh, just you know pour around each individual plant. But again, I don't think it's necessary. I wouldn't spend the money this time of year. But next spring, probably about March or so, just to head off any future problems. That's when I'd probably put some beneficial nematodes out. Okay, okay. Uh, my other uh, a little issue is that I also have a pride of Barbados in my backyard, uh, mm-hmm. and it was and it was small, but now it's man, it's huge. It's tall, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's still and it's still blooming beautifully. Uh, I love the colors and everything. Um, what can I do or when when and how can can I trim them uh you know because I don't want them to grow too too tall you know I want them right you know kind of like my shrubs you know not not too big well you don't want to trim them right now because you want them to go on blooming as much as possible this summer most years we'll have a freeze and they'll freeze down all the way to ground level I cut of course I live outside of burning I'm not here in San Antonio so I get a little bit colder but I cut mine down every winter as soon as they freeze. I cut them down to about two inches tall. And then, you know, they'll come out. I've never had them fail to come out. I've probably been growing them for 10 or 15 years. So right now, enjoy the flowers. Uh, after they have finished blooming, if you want to cut them back a little bit, you can. But for the most part, leave most of the foliage on because that's what's enabling them to store the nutrients they need to make it through the winter. They're probably going to freeze all the way to the ground. If they don't freeze the ground, 
early next spring, about January or February, cut them down to about two inches tall, and that'll keep them from getting uh, out of hand. They're still going to, Pride of Barbados uh, is a big plant, uh, and you're not going to be able to make a dwarf out of something that normally gets pretty big, but uh, you're going to take them all the way down to ground level this winter, so uh, it'll take them a while to come back out again next spring. So you, you said uh, to trim in the fall or early February? Well, I you know, I usually wait until mine freeze. If you need to do a light trim, let them get through with their blooming, because if you cut them now, you're just cutting off buds. You're just cheating yourself out of all those flowers. And uh, so mm-hmm. I let mine finish with their blooming, and then if I need to trim them lightly, say maybe cut a foot or two off the tops, then I will do that in the fall. But I save my, my cutting them back to ground level. I'm going to save that till January or February or whenever they freeze. And if they don't freeze, okay. I'm going to do it in February. All right. Uh, thanks, Bob. Uh, last question. Um, I have an avocado tree that I recently planted. Uh, mm-hmm. How true is it? I mean, I'm not a, a 100% gardener or anything like that or professional, <laughs> but uh, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> uh, how de- delicate are these avocado trees, and, and do I have to be watering them every day? That, that, that's what I hear. I don't know. I, I might well, be yeah, is, is this one you you bought or one that you grew from a seed? From uh, from a seed. Okay, um, you probably aren't going to have to water every day, but whenever that soil is dry on the surface, then give it a good drink. Uh, I always tell people there's no such thing as too much water. You don't ever have to worry about putting too much water on at one time. So you want to flood it when you water it. But then whenever that soil's dry, about a knuckle deep, when the soil feels dry there on the surface, then it's time to water thoroughly again. Um, That's probably going to be every two or three days. Once it really gets established, uh, it'll probably be once every week or two. But now, just when you can feel the soil and it's good and dry on the surface, and it's time to water again. Now, a couple of things about an avocado grown from a seed. It takes them about six to eight years to mature. So no matter how big they get, they have to be physiologically mature before they're going to produce avocados. So uh, you're going to be you're going to be waiting and have to be very patient before you start getting avocados. And the ones you plant from a seed are not cold hardy. If we get a real cold spell in the winter, you're going to have to cover them so that they don't freeze and die. Now, the so-called Mexican avocados, the ones that you would buy at a nursery, they, once they're established, they are more cold hardy, and they're the ones you may see growing in people's yards. But yours is going to be a little bit more delicate. So, probably going to have to protect it if it gets real cold and you're going to have to be very very patient in the meantime just water and fertilize and uh, drool over that uh, guacamole to be <laughs> fertilize with uh, growing green correct that's just fine or uh, growing greens great granular that your avocado will love okay thanks bob appreciate all your your help here it's always a pleasure joe it's good to talk to you this morning sure. thank you sir <laughs> goodbye All right, let's uh, get a quick break in here, and then we'll talk to Mary and Bernice and Lloyd. I get to talk about Wild Birds Unlimited, and uh, again, just one of my favorite stores to visit. Sometimes if I'm just uh, looking for a gift, just stumped for something to find, I stop by Wild Birds Unlimited because they're just almost always something I can find, because quite frankly, most of uh, my friends and family, they love things for the outdoors. Not all of them are birders, but Wild Birds Unlimited has a lot more than just birding supplies. They've also got great books. They've also got great optics in the form of uh, binoculars and 
really top quality at really reasonable prices. And then just a lot of good gift merchandise as well. And if you're into birding, they have the very best in feeders. I love their eco-clean feeders. I love their hummingbird feeders with the built-in ant stoppers. Having a problem with bees? Well, they have the bee guards. They have uh, feeders that the bees can't get to. Wild Birds Unlimited just is your headquarters for everything related to nature and gifts. Right out there in the shopping center at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, open seven days a week to serve you. If you have a question, you can always give them a call at 479-BIRD. That's area code 210-479-BIRD. If you want to bring life into your garden, if you want to get your kids or grandkids really involved in nature, great place to start is with the trip to Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Mary and Bernice and Lloyd and Linda, and Mary is up first. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Hey, I, um, I've i had such a great um, luck with my tomatoes that I <laughs> went ahead and bought another little starter plant, but I'm running out of pot to put it in, Okay. so I just put the new little starter underneath the established ones did i is that not advisable as long as it gets plenty of sunlight um that's going to be okay but tomato plants need sun so uh hopefully even if you have to do a little trimming most everybody's tomatoes uh, have some bad leaves on them right now probably go through and do a little oh kind of a tidy up but uh, as long as your new plants getting good sunlight it should do fine there's nothing that it's going to, you know, interfere with with having an existing plant near it. But uh, the sunlight's just the most important thing. It should. I think I'm going to probably pull up one of them, and I put it closer to that one because it's okay. starting to kind of fade away. Well, rather than pull it up, just cut it off at ground level. That way you're not going to mess up the roots uh, of your new plant. And believe me, tomato plants root out in a big hurry and uh, doesn't cause any problems. Uh, in fact, I think sometimes it's better as little organic material in the soil just to leave the, the roots in the ground. Just cut it off at ground level and to be done with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've had, I think um, part of my success is I picked up this Dr. Earth final stop. Uh huh. And I've been spraying it on because it's got all the, you know, rosemary oil, peppermint, cinnamon oil, garlic. <laughs> and it seems to, you know, they're, they're, they're real pretty. They don't have any cracks or blemishes on them. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to keep using that. Another question I have is I got a little, um, I went to a plant sale last week and I picked up some plants, probably picked them up before I did some research on them. But okay. I picked up this large, Norfolk pine. It's very uh-huh. well established, but I've been kind of looking at some information, and I, it's, I'm thinking I'm going to have to take this thing in in the winter time. You are. You oh. definitely are going to have to bring it in the winter. And if you uh, went to Hawaii and looked up on some of the ridges, you would see Norfolk pines that are 150 feet tall up there. So uh, they're a big tree. They're uh, Araucaria is their botanical name, and uh, they they do very, very well. They want a lot of sunlight. A lot of people leave them outside in the summer months, and then uh, uh, 
drag them inside and put them in a bright window for the winter, but they need lots and lots of light to do well. But eventually they're going to kind of outgrow you. Uh, I know there have been more than one greenhouse built simply to accommodate the Norfolk pines. And then they get up to that point where they're 10 or 12 feet tall and people start looking to donate them to the zoo or the botanical garden <laughs> or somewhere that they can get bigger because that's like, kind of like trying to grow an oak tree as a house plant. might be real pretty when it's little, but uh, it's going to get very big. And unlike chefflers and things like that, it doesn't lend itself to uh, being pruned back. So um, how, how big is it now? How tall? It's about four feet. Okay, well, you've got about three years before you have to worry about what to do with it. But So enjoy it in the meantime. It'll it'll probably be making a nice uh, living Christmas tree for you this uh, winter. Oh, my house can't accommodate it if it gets much taller. So, I mean, like 20 feet tall. So, Yeah. <laughs> I have a, another plant that I picked up. It's a Durante Sapphire Purple. Is that uh-huh. uh, deer proof? It's deer resistant. Um, deer do not like it but when they get hungry enough they may go after it's great plant planted in a real sunny area it'll bloom for you uh the butterflies the hummingbirds absolutely love it and uh, very few insect problems it's just a real good choice but be sure it gets lots and lots of sunlight if it does freeze down in the winter it comes right back out in the spring so that's a good choice yes it's i love the little purple flowers on it it's beautiful oh yeah yeah, there's a white form as well. There's some forms with variegated foliage. There are lots of different uh, Durantas out there. All right, Bob, thank you so much. Appreciate you it. Keep up the good work, and uh, let me know when you uh, build that three-story house with the big atrium in it so your Norfolk can uh, get up to a bigger size. I'll just bring it to you for free. <laughs> I don't have that house that big. Mary, you have a great weekend, and I appreciate okay. the call. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, goodbye. Ah, let's see here. Uh, Looks like next up is going to be Bernice. Good morning, Bernice. Good morning. How are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? Great. So my question is this. um, I I have a friend who has a yard, and I have a yard. So my yard has chiggers, and her yard has some fleas because her dog's always getting fleas. How can I, how can we get rid of all of that? Um, the fleas, your beneficial nematode is going to be the best way to control your fleas. Beneficial nematodes are just, they, they are very effective, totally safe for people and dogs. And, uh, every time I've used them, it's been like two or three years before I've had to treat again. Chiggers okay. are a little bit more, um, a little bit more troublesome. You can, uh, control them. Uh, either with a cedar oil spray, that's probably one of the easiest things to use. And um, uh, garlic works to some extent, but there's a product called Cedar Side or Cedar Repel that you can get as a liquid, and you spray that around. Um, used to, uh, he's passed away now, but uh, really delightful fellow named Bodie that took care of all the little league fields up in the Bandera area. He was always concerned about all his uh, little league guys that were, you know, out there getting chiggers uh, in the outfield, so to speak. And he told me he only had to spray about three times a year and uh, with the cedar oil and that that totally controlled his chiggers for him. So um, cedar oil is not going to do much against the fleas. Beneficial nematodes are not going to do much against the chiggers. So uh, you guys are going to really go about this uh, 
you know, from two different angles. But uh, both of those things are totally non-toxic to people and pets, and um, both of them are very effective. So does cedar oil, can I buy that at a nursery? Yeah, yeah. Probably the name you're going to find it under is Cedar Repel. You might find it under the name of Cedarside, but it also has the added benefit is it tends to be repellent to mosquitoes and uh, a lot of other things as well. And it won't harm... um bats or butterflies or no No. okay great now it may be a little repellent to bees so i probably wouldn't be spraying it around my vegetable garden but it's not going to hurt them it's just going to make them say it stinks around here in their opinion and so they may not be there it actually works pretty well everybody is terrified of snakes and all it uh it's a pretty good repellent for most reptiles as well oh good okay then one last question i have clivia plants and they always flower, but I can never get them to seed. What am I doing wrong? Well, clivias don't, um, you know, they don't make a lot of seed. Uh, they are, you know, they, the flower is what we call a perfect flower, uh, which just simply means it has both male and female parts. So you've got to have good pollination uh, in order to get seed production. And for whatever reason, I don't usually see a lot of insects around clivia flowers. So you may need to get in there with a little uh, artist paintbrush or something like that and just dust around inside the flowers while they're open. If you've got the old standard orange one, you will get some seeds. Now there are a bunch of, uh, they've, they've become very popular in the past few years. There are a lot of hybrids out there and some of those hybrids are sterile. Some of those things, they're so mixed up on their genetics, they just never make seed. But the old mm-hmm. standard, uh, one they call the Kaffir lily that's, uh, that brilliant orange, uh, you right. can get in there, dust around with a paintbrush, and you will get seed. Now, don't know how long you've had them, but remember, they are not cold hardy. They are going to have to come in in the winter months, so they're not something oh, to yeah. be planted in the flower beds. But they are oh, no. certainly beautiful. I saw one had an orchid growing friend that had one planted in a wash tub that had about thirty flower spikes on it at one time one year, and it was one of those spectacular things I've ever seen. So you enjoy. They're they're almost as addictive as orchids and some other things. Yes. Now, mine have gone to the seed, you know, where they're bright red, but then they just uh-huh. dry up and fall off. I mean, they they shrink and then they they die. So, well, it's yeah, it's what they're doing is they're forming a seed pod, but they haven't gotten the pollination, so they don't have viable seed inside. So uh, I think you're going to need to hand pollinate to uh, get some seed. And you're going to have to be patient. You know, when they do make seed, it usually takes about three years for them to get up to flowering size. But you never know. You might get that unusual new color or something fun out of it. So uh, get your paintbrush, do a little pollinating next time they're in bloom, and you'll have much better luck getting seed production. Okay, thanks, and God bless you. And you as well. Good to talk to you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to uh, gardening here. We've got Lloyd and Linda and Alex and Brian to talk to, and Lloyd is up first. Good morning, Lloyd. Good morning, Bob. Hey, I've got a morning, question sir. about a, a passion vine. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd like to maybe screen in an area about 20 feet long. Okay. And I think I'd like to put uh, some trellises there and put passion vines, have them grow up it. Uh, just wondering if you think that's a viable idea. 
Well, the native beer? passion, the native passion vine, which is sort of a light lavender, um, is going to be semi evergreen, and so it's going to make a reasonably good screen. Most of the really fancy ones, like incense and all, they're going to freeze to the ground every winter, so you're going to lose your privacy effect. But if you uh, if you get the native passion vine, also known as maypop, uh, it's going to be evergreen most years. Uh, it's a beautiful vine, but like I say, the prettiest, the ones with the prettiest flowers, go 100% are gone during the winter months. So if you're looking for an evergreen vine, uh, Tangerine Beauty Cross Vine or Star Jasmine, also known as Confederate Jasmine. Those are vines that you can count on holding their foliage all winter, but uh, nothing at all wrong with the Passion Vine. It may kind of get a little out of hand after a while, but that's what pruning shears are for. But just be sure you get the native one if it's important to have it there winter and summer. Yeah, I, I probably used the wrong word when I said screen. I wanted more just cover. And if it goes yeah. dormant and breaks to the ground, that's fine. But I just oh. like the flowers, you know, the nice passion vine. And I would well, like to long... you know, grow them along that 20-foot area. <laughs> Sure. Well, it would be fine as long as you get at least half day of sun. Uh, they're one of the most okay. uh, one of the most beautiful flowers, and uh, some of them, like the variety called incense, are also extremely fragrant. One thing about passion vines, you are going to get this is not an if, this is a definite. You're going to get a little orange caterpillar that is a larval state of a butterfly called a Gulf fritillary, and uh, it's just passion vines are their larval host. And so you're going to have to give up a few leaves every now and then if you want to have the pretty orange butterflies. But uh, uh, that's about the only only insect I see on them. If it's really, really hot and dry, you might see some spider mites, but you can limit those with liquid seaweed. But uh, you will be dealing with some caterpillars periodically. But again, um, I, I tend to share, let them have some leaves because I enjoy the butterflies. But uh, that's just sort of full disclosure. That's probably everything you need to know about passion vines. Well, how many would I need? How many plants to cover an area about 20 feet long? 20 feet, I'd plant four or five. I'd plant about four to five feet on center, and they will fill in nicely. They're also okay. going to reproduce. They're going to make some little shoots around the big plant. Never get to the point that I would consider them invasive, but uh, every year you're going to have more vines and more flowers. It's just going to get prettier and prettier. Okay. And uh, the incense probably is, in your opinion, maybe the prettiest and most fragrant I, it's one that I like best, but there, uh, there are a bunch of different ones. There's a brand new one out that has a little prettier foliage called Batwing, but I haven't seen enough of the flowers to really give you an opinion on that one yet because it's. Uh, I just got introduced to it about two weeks ago. So incense is still my favorite, but uh, take a look at, at all of them. There are some. There's a red one, but it's just not very cold-hardy here. Uh, there's one called, I believe it's Queen Anne or something like that, and it doesn't have as long a bloom period, although it has a beautiful lavender flower while it's in flower. So there are some other choices, but incense still remains my favorite. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds like I've got a place to start. I appreciate it. It sounds like you got some uh, fun time and some beautiful flowers coming up, Lloyd. You enjoy. And uh, next up is Linda. You're talking to uh, me, Linda. Good morning. Good morning, me. Yes, uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you mention earlier um, 
a combination of boric acid and sugar to kill mm-hmm. ants and roaches. But right. I, either you didn't say or I didn't hear you say what ratio. About half and half. It's just the sugar's the attractant, the uh, boric acid is the killer. I put it out like in a jar lid or, uh, you know, for little sugar ants, you can actually put it in bottle caps and things like that. But, uh, again, uh, you want to have it out of sight. Uh, It's not dangerous, but you really don't want your pets to get into it and spread it around. But uh, I just put it in a little shallow shallow container like that, and I'll just stick a couple of them under the refrigerator, under the stove, and... uh, I rarely, if ever, see a roach or an ant in my kitchen. Okay. The reason that I'm asking is I've got an old ash tree, and the Mm -hmm. ants are eating it. As a matter of fact, I can stand on the ground and look up at a probably an 8-inch diameter uh, branch. Okay. And I can see all the way through the branch. Yep. Well, um, if outside, I wouldn't be using this. Outside, I would simply make a mixture of orange oil and water. I'd put about, uh, oh, about two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of water. Spray uh-huh. with that. What you're looking at are carpenter ants, and they're yeah. actually just eating the wood that's already dead. They're not killing things, but, boy, if you've got... Oh, a tree that always has dead wood, like an ash tree or an old cedar tree or something like that. It's you're going to have plenty of carpenter ants in there. But uh, for those things, uh, I, I would just spray with orange oil and water. Very effective, very safe, and uh, it's it's a lot easier than trying to keep up with uh, you know sugar and boric acid. Every time it rains, you'd have to be replacing it, and boric yeah. acid could be okay. hard on plants and things. So just orange oil and water is all you're going to need on those carpenter ants. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good day. It's my pleasure. You have a good day, too. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, uh, let's see here. Yeah, we've gotten all our our breaks out of the way, so we'll just keep going here. Up next is Alex, and then it'll be Brian. Uh, Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Bob. Enjoy your show. Thank you. Uh, Quick question for you. Um, I have a fruit salad tree with four different types of peaches on on there um i okay. didn't take care of it very well last year um i didn't feed it didn't water it much the leaves came out there was a few fruit a few uh fruit that came on um but they didn't last too long uh this year i have been um giving it uh, medina you know once a month um mm-hmm. fertilizer um and making sure i water it better um well i have fruit if we have enough chill hours this fall this winter will i haven't will it, will it produce fruit next well, spring or do i have to wait another year for it to produce no you look into your crystal ball and tell me how much cool weather we're going to have this winter <laughs> and i can give you a better answer uh peaches uh, we talk about chilling hours and that's below 45 degrees uh so it doesn't it, being really cold doesn't make them produce any better. It's a number of hours that it's below 45 that will make the difference. And depending on what varieties were grafted onto this tree, I mean, you stand a very good chance of uh, having, you know, some fair fruit this next spring. Uh, you will want to about January, February, when the leaves are off the tree. It's very important to go through and thin things out. You can need to do this every yes, year on a peach tree. But uh, all things, you know, being equal, 
I would not be at all surprised if you have a much better peach crop. Now, you need to, that's one tree you need to always watch and be sure you don't have any sprouts coming out below the graft point because those fruit cocktail trees really, that root sprout really likes to, uh, likes to sprout and grow. So keep an eye on that. And of course, be sure the root flare is exposed. But, uh, if the tree's looking good, putting on uh, good foliage at this point, no reason to think it won't have plenty of flowers and fruit next year. Okay. Yeah, I, I, just, I thought I heard someone say that you're whenever you fertilize, you're doing it for the the following the year after, not the coming year. So I, I oh, thought no. that maybe I no, might not get anything for. No, for your 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 fertilizer is going to be liquid fertilizer is going to be used the day you put it out. The granular fertilizer, which is what I use on fruit trees, uh, it it's broken down. It's acted upon by microbes in the soil and made available to the plants. But no, it's it's certainly available to the plants within a week or two of the time it gets put out, and it goes on feeding probably for ninety days. So no, it's it's no year long wait at all here. Okay, and and putting that out monthly, putting out a little a little Medina uh, a month. Um, that's that's not too much or too little. That's okay. I do it about every three months when it comes to the granules. Now, if I'm feeding with a liquid, which is faster acting but not as long lasting, if I'm feeding with a liquid, I'm going to do it every two to four weeks. But the granular, three four times a year is plenty. Okay, okay. And one last question. I have a a grafted. Um, someone was talking about avocados earlier. I have a grafted avocado mm-hmm. tree, um, and uh, you know it's not. It's not doing anything right now, um, but I'm continuing to feed and, and water, uh, you know, when it's dry. Um, when, since it's grafted, when should I when should I expect some fruit from from that? You probably get some fruit next year. Now, how long have you had it? Uh, I got it earlier this year, um, okay. and it looked like it it may have had some fruit on there, but I was watering it too much, so I backed off on the water. Okay, uh, I might have been watering it too often, but never too much. Um, right, yeah, that's what I meant, on it, yes. Yeah, is the bark on it smooth or is the bark on it rough? Uh, I can't remember. Um, okay. Well, the only only reason I ask, if the bark is still smooth, then it is going to be susceptible to freeze damage. So you're going to have to uh, plan on you know, giving a little protection if we do have weather that's much below freezing. Once the bark gets rough, uh, they are much, much more cold tolerant. And once the bark gets rough, uh, you probably only have to protect it if we're going to get down into the teens. So uh, take a look at that bark, and that'll give you... Uh, that'll give you an indication of uh, of how much winter protection it's going to need. But beyond that, nah, I just water it and feed it and look forward to some guacamole before too long. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, the bark, the part of it part of it is smooth and part of it is, is rough. So um, I guess it, it will need some protection. Yeah, yeah. And again, a light freeze not going to hurt it. But if it's going to get down below the upper 20s, uh, first couple of years, it's it you know, really really need to protect it but boy after that there's a guy has a tree around the corner from the nursery here and says oh come pick anything you like we went by there one day there must have been a thousand avocados on that tree so something to look forward to a little ways down the road one can definitely wish i appreciate it bob hey i appreciate the call you get out and have a wonderful uh, sunday thanks for, thank you so much you too <laughs> bye all right less than a minute here before news time so uh 
Not going to rush anybody. We'll get the what passes for news these days. Don't get me started on that subject. But we've got another full hour of gardening. And then, of course, Dr. Kirby will be in at 11, and we have the pleasure, I have the pleasure of learning from him as he tells us uh, all sorts of things about our pet's health. So lots of fun stuff happening here on KTSA this morning. I really appreciate you joining us. Out in the yard, if you if it's been more than two or three months since you fertilized, be a real good time to get some of that organic fertilizer and put it on. Remember that it does not burn, so uh, you can put it out anytime and you don't have to worry about watering it in. If you're looking for color, still a great time to plant periwinkles, plant pentas, plant angelonia. Don't have a drab yard. There are a lot of things you can do to really perk things up and have it beautiful. Check out some of those new little dwarf fingers too, that variety they call soiree. Right back here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Ah, but don't dial right this second. If you want to get through, you almost have to try to anticipate about six, eight seconds before I hang up because... uh, wait this long you know all the lines are going to be filled we're going to talk to brian and mike and glenda and webster and brian is up first good morning brian good morning bob can you hear me okay i hear you loud and clear okay well i just didn't want you to have an echo i got you on speaker i just wanted to check hey um, great i'm getting ready to rip out those old romas that didn't do anything because it was too hot at night all summer Right. And uh, put some new plants in, and I'm going to put some contender bean in the ground. Um, and I picked up a bag of green and grow uh, granule fertilizer. Do I want to put some of that in with the beans when I plant them? I actually put some down before I plant. I will, when I'm planting uh, beans, when I'm planting just about any of those things, I'll actually sprinkle a fairly liberal amount on the surface. Then I'm going to take my little trowel and pull pull my row. It just sort of blends it in as I go. So uh, rather than okay. mix it directly with the beans, I just put, actually I put a layer of fertilizer and then put a little layer of compost on top of that and then go back and do my planting, and it works really well. Okay, that's what I was curious about. And then just go ahead and now are you using the uh has to grow on your beans? I know you use it on your tomatoes every two or three weeks. After things are up and growing, yes. I figure that the growing green is gonna get things off to a good start and probably I'm not gonna do anything for a month or six weeks. But once it get really up and going then I'm gonna go back and supplement with the has to grow just to increase production. Okay, great. And once I put the beans in the ground, um, before they emerge, what kind of watering schedule should I be on? Keep the soil moist. Water really thoroughly when you water, and water again whenever it's dry on the surface. Have you grown beans in this particular place before, Brian? No. No, it's first time. You may want to look into, if you're looking for just maximum results, uh, you may want to get some of what we call inoculant, uh, bean and pea inoculant. And it's uh, very fine. It's it's like graphite. It is so finely ground. And it uh, it what it is is the bacteria that colonize the roots, which actually are able to take nitrogen out of the air and help uh-huh. provide, sort of feed the beans. It stays in the ground from year to year. So if you have planted uh, beans there 
earlier in the spring or even if you planted them there last year, uh, chances are you would still yeah. have it there. But any time I'm moving into a new area with beans or black-eyed peas, any kind of legume, I'm going to use some of the inoculant. And what I do, I'll, I'll just soak the seed for five or ten minutes, pour the water off, and then dust a little bit of uh, inoculant in there, shake it up, and go plant. Go plant immediately as soon as you dust them? I, I mean, it's not mandatory, but uh, that that's what I do while it's while the bean is still wet and the and the uh, okay. inoculant sticks to it so well. All right, that sounds good. Um, yeah, this is a new seed bed that I prepared this spring, and uh, the tomatoes just didn't do very well in it. But I put romas in it, so I did. You know, we talked about that earlier that there was just yeah. the wrong climate for romas. Right, but. Uh, Okay, I'm going to uh, continue to try to march on over here and grow some more great vegetables. <laughs> well, I'm waiting, for my, I'm waiting for all my indeterminates to start coming back once it starts cooling off. And if you've got an idea when that's going to be, we all want to know because I think that's yeah, I'll that's what that information. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> I'll tell you after it happens. How's that? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'll give you a notice a day or two after. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. And in the future, you know, as far as putting down your fertilizer and a little bit of compost, I try to do that two, three weeks before I'm ready to plant. And the only yeah. problem I have is that, uh, you know, it's just the soil so full of earthworms when I go to plant. I'm always hating to be cutting up earthworms when I plant. But I love to put the, the growing green down, put a little compost on top, and water it for two, three, four weeks before it's actually time to plant. Yeah. And I feel like that just get things gets things off to uh, oh, yeah. a really strong start. Now, I'm not saying I always do that. But that is always yeah. my intention, and the years that I manage to do that, things get off to a faster start. Yeah, and I just I just don't have time this year, I don't think, to wait that long. Do you? I, I certainly don't in my life right now. <laughs> so yeah. I'd, I'd, Well, I'd I'm just worried about the growing yeah. season running out if I wait another three weeks to put those contender beans in the ground. Yeah, no, and uh, I, I totally agree with you. Three weeks from now, we'll be planting broccoli and other things. So if you have a place you want to get ready for those, it would be a good idea. But no, for the beans and things that you, you need to get them in the ground soon. So I certainly wouldn't be waiting yeah, on those. And go ahead and, and do the green and grow under the new tomato plants I'm fixing to set in the ground, too, right? Absolutely, and a little bit of rock phosphate as well. And yeah. throw some yeah. around your yeah. uh, your indeterminates uh, while you're at it, uh, just to give them a little boost this fall. Okay. All right, Bob. Once again, I appreciate you, and uh, I, I thank you for all your wealth and knowledge, sir. It's always a pleasure, and I uh, appreciate the Maybe call. Maybe we'll catch you again at Greengate. <laughs> that I don't get over there as often this time of year in the spring. I'm usually there pretty month on a on a weekly basis to see what Ronnie's got growing that I need. But uh, it slows yeah. down a little bit in the summer. But I'll look forward to his happening. So you get out and have a good Hi, day. Sir. Thank and, you. Thank thank you. All right. Next up is Mike. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Bob. The only thing that would make this a better day is if it would rain. I am in total agreement with that, although I'm not going to say the only thing. If it would drop 10 degrees, it would also make it a better day. Well, if it rained, it would drop some. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that. What's uh, going on today? Well, I'm looking at a couple of uh, pots I have with Cassandra's in it. Mm -hmm. a and uh, the, both of them have some very long, couple of feet long uh, stems. And they're so uh -huh. long that they're drooping over. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my question is, can I cut those and repropagate them? Uh, uh, are, are you looking at the gold farm or the orange farm? They're orange. Okay. Uh, you can, uh, you'll want to keep your cuttings down about three or four inches in length, but Crossandra roots pretty easily in perlite. Just uh, pick a shady spot and keep it quite moist, and uh, then the Crossandra should root in about three weeks for you. Uh, the orange doesn't want quite as much sunlight as the gold does, but, uh, you know, for, for uh, getting them rooted, uh, want it fairly shady, and then you know move it out to brighter shade for them to grow. Okay, and you say uh, cut the stem uh, just about every three inches. Well, your your cutting should not be more than about three inches long. If it's longer than that, things tend to dehydrate too quickly. By planting or by starting a smaller cutting, you're balancing the amount of uh, foliage you have with the amount of stem you have, and you just have a, a lot higher percentage of them will do well. Okay, well then I could get <clears throat> uh, three or four cuttings off of one stem. You know, it's yeah, a couple look, of feet long. Yeah, and look and be sure that there are the little dormant nodes along there. Everywhere that there was a leaf, there's going to be a little dormant bud, and that's what's going to sprout and grow. But uh, in most cases, yeah, you should be able to cut it in about three foot sections. Do do keep in you know and in, in mind which end is up and down because if there are no leaves on those stems, one looks pretty much like the other, and they won't root unless you get them right side up. So that's one thing you'll need to be careful of. Okay, I have to do them just one at a time, one at a time. That's, I get my pot of perlite there, wet it down real good, and cut, stick, cut, stick, cut, stick. And uh, I, many things, I would take a bunch of cuttings, throw them in a bucket of liquid seaweed and water for a little while. But in this case, uh, that's that's not going to work as well. So I'm just going to be pretty much sticking them as I cut. Uh, just straight perlite, no uh, compost or anything in it? No. No, no, no. You want perlite because it's totally sterile. You bring in compost, you've got a lot of decomposing microbes that thinks it's their job to try to break things down uh, and get them to rot. In this case, that's why we use a sterile medium. Uh, we get close to 100% success on rooting. Okay, well, I'll try that today because uh, I want it to be bushier, and uh, it has a lot of flowers on it now, both of them. Sure. Uh, another well, thing I had was <clears throat> my purple hole peas. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been harvesting. I just have about six. <clears throat> excuse me. I have about six pots with purple holes in them, uh-huh. and uh, I'm I'm tempted to. Uh, I'm torn between eating them and using them for replanting. Is, is it okay to reap a uh, seed uh, purple hole peas at this time? You can certainly do so, but I'd be eating the ones that are coming out of the garden, and I'd just be buying a fresh package of seed. Hmm. Well, okay. At uh, not too late to plant some. So, I'll, I'll no, try sir. That. Purple hulls—they're going to produce in forty-five to fifty days, if I remember the timing on that right. And you know, that time we're still in September, so we should be should get a good crop. They get a better crop than you got in the summertime. Well, okay. I'll try that also. Bob, Got I certainly day do laid appreciate, out for you. Your, uh, appreciate your knowledge, and uh, uh, I have some plants I need to bring you some pictures to show you. Well, I don't know those, what they are. 
I'll look forward to look forward to doing that with you, Mike. So you get out and have a good Sunday, and we'll we'll talk again soon. Right now, uh, I'm going to take a break here and talk with you about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And uh, I just kind of have to laugh with everybody that talks about fixing your roof and taking care of all these problems. You know, if you have a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof, you're not going to have any problems to fix. Now, I can't say that 100%. We had a truck ran into our roof uh, at one point, and yes, then they did come out and fix it immediately. But our Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roofs on our business, on my home, on my partner's home, you know, we've stood up to hail high winds and never once had to call for any kind of repairs whatsoever. Very reasonably priced. In fact, that's the thing that really surprises people is how little it costs to put on a lifetime quality roof. And it truly is the last roof you will ever put on your home. And don't worry if you don't like the look of standing sea metal. They have roofs that look like slate or shake shingles or ceramic tile. All the same quality, all going to save you money on your utility bills, almost certainly going to save you money on your insurance bills. How many reasons do you need to replace that old roof with this the last roof that you'll ever put on your home? And if you're building a new home, do what we did on our groundwater district office. Tell your builder, I want a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on this home. And uh, Southwest Metal Roofing Systems would love to help you. And uh, it's just it's just the only way to go, in my opinion, when it comes to roofs. People you can depend on, quality that lasts, Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Give them a call, 210-822-6868. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Glinda and Webster and, uh, let's see here, then Gary and Mary. And Glinda's up first. Good morning, Glinda. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, My husband and I have lived in Corpus Christi for 31 years, and we had two gardens a year in the fall and the spring. Okay. since March, we've moved up here to the Tarkley and Utopia Mm -hmm. area, and I want to plant a garden. So Very good. what can I plant in my fall gardens here? I, I'm not I'm not used to this weather here, so I corpus is hot all the time. <laughs> and we're only hot most of the time. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, things that will grow well for you, and you plant what you like, things that are very dependable, leaf spinach will do well for you, um, broccoli does well most all the time, just about all of your leafy greens. Now, some of the lettuces, if we get an unusually cold spell, uh, your lettuce may suffer a little bit of freeze damage, but you can grow wonderful chard, you can grow wonderful kale. I happen to love the dino kale, the Toscano kale. You can grow root crops like radishes and carrots and beets and turnips. Um, it's a lot of these things is too early to be planting. In fact, most of our true cool weather crops is too early to be planting. But if you want to get in another crop of uh, summer squash, if you want to get another squash, uh, crop of bush beans, you could plant those things this afternoon and uh, have a very realistic chance of uh, getting production from those before it got too cold. But I most of the things you're going to be planting, leafy greens other than spinach um, and things like broccoli and cauliflower, you're going to be planting those uh, by the middle of September. 
Normally the soil has cooled down by the middle of October that you can start planting things like spinach. And then, of course, uh, normally in December you can start planting onions and leeks. And uh, you're going you're gonna to stay busy year-round in the garden uh, up in the hill country just like you did in Corpus. Okay. Now, um, I heard you talking like a while ago. We can plant purple hull peas right now? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Look at the, the different varieties. You want to get a variety that produces in 50 days or less. There's some of them out there that take as long as 70 days, but uh, there are plenty of varieties that are going to produce in uh, 40 to 50, 52 days. Those are what I'd be planting right now. Okay. So I, right now I can plant purple peas, summer squash, uh, the greens, you say? Um, you can plant like turnip really, greens, mustard greens, collard no, greens. No, it's it, we're a little early on those. You could probably okay. plant some uh, Swiss chard. I uh, should be able to okay. plant Swiss chard now, but most of our other leafy greens, it's going to need to cool off a little more. Okay, when can I plant tomatoes? Um, right now you can plant. Uh, I would plant cherry tomatoes now. Because your big-fruited tomatoes, when the nights start cooling down, they're going to stop setting fruit. And we in, in up in Tarpley, Utopia, up in that area, you're going to get cool nights before we do in San Antonio. And I just don't think your plants would really have time to grow and mature for the big-fruited varieties. But cherries like Sun Gold, Sweet 100, Juliet, um, if you get them immediately, you should get pretty good production this fall. Okay, all right. Now, uh, one, of, two of the questions. First of all, um, I had strawberries and blackberries. Or I have strawberries and blackberries in Corpus, and they mm-hmm. grow really well, and they do real well. Can I plant strawberries and blackberries here? You certainly can. You certainly can. Uh, now, it's the there a certain available- variety. Not so much. Uh, my favorite blackberry happens to be one called Roseboro because it's a little bigger berry and a very, very sweet berry. Uh, you're going to probably have trouble finding blackberries before December or January, but uh, if you can find them, you can plant them any time, or if you can dig some from uh, your place in Corpus and bring them up here, most varieties will do well. Strawberries, typically mid to late October, is going to be planting season on those, and that's the time you're going to find them in the nurseries. In October? Yes. Okay. And will I have to keep them in a greenhouse to get them through the winter? Because it gets cold here. Yeah, I would plant them outside. You know, we may have a winter when it freezes three times the whole winter, and I remember winters when it's gone to five degrees. And so gardening is a gamble. And um, okay. I, most years, probably nine years out of ten, maybe 19 years out of 20, at the very most, all you'll ever have to do is uh, put a little floating row cover. I like the brand called Insulate. Uh, you may have to put that over them uh, two or three nights during the winter. But um, it's just I've lived here long enough to see it get severely cold, but it hasn't happened in quite a few years now. So I don't have a crystal ball that works very well, so uh, we just (laughs) plants our plants and takes our chances. (laughs) What about potatoes? Potatoes? um, I plant them early February. You're probably going to plant them late February. Late, okay, all right. Yeah, and One remember, potatoes potatoes can freeze back a time or two and still come out. So we're trying to just anticipate the end of freezing weather. But um, where you are, unless you're just in a really cold spot, my third or fourth week of February should be perfect planting time. 
Okay. Uh, my husband said that when he soaks his beans, um, mm-hmm. they they swell up. Or is that okay? As long as he doesn't over-soak them. Uh, He's probably soaking them a little too long. I find once they swell, they're very fragile. They tend to break open the cotyledons, separate. Yeah. Yeah. So he's soaking them a little bit longer than I would. How long should we soak them? I do about 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's definitely soaking them too long. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably doing it overnight. (laughs) Yeah. No. Like no, ten. Them the next day. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that's not what you want to do in the garden. About ten minutes, ten okay. or fifteen minutes should be perfect. <laughs> okay, so basically, there's not a whole lot we can plant right now. Okra will okra grow here? Don't really have time. Okra will do beautifully, but it needed to go in, uh, you know, a couple of months ago. Okay. All yeah, right. anything that okay. tells you it produces in 45 to 50 days, you can plant. But uh, um, if you can find transplants for peppers, you could certainly plant some peppers. I especially am fond of the shishitos, which are a very compact plant with the loads of peppers on them. Um, like I say, Swiss chard, you can certainly plant now, but you're early, early on kale. You're early on all the cold crops and the root crops. But, you know, blink twice and it'll be here. So you call yeah. any time I can help. Okay, now my husband said that at your place, um, you have little brochures that we can read, and um, will you have something about this particular um, area? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have a good vegetable garden handout that uh, all you'll do is adjust your dates slightly, a little bit uh, earlier in the fall, a little bit later in the spring. But uh, we we love sharing our knowledge and making you more successful, so uh, we're more than happy to help with that. Well, I think we're going to try and come see you one day next week. So it's uh, nine to five. I may have a lot more questions. (laughs) Nine to four (laughs) Monday through Saturday, and ten to four on Sundays, and. Um, I may be on a ladder putting the finishing touches on a greenhouse, so you may not find me, but uh, there are plenty of people here that will be happy to help you. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Glenda. Thank you for the call. <laughs> Goodbye. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Golly, hard to believe we're down to the last 30 minutes of the show. Time just flies when you're talking with great people about a fun subject. We're going to talk to uh, Webster and Gary and then two Marys in a row. So uh, good morning, Webster. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you today? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, with a name like that, it's got to be good, right? <laughs> there you go. You got that on the head. <laughs> hey, I'm having, uh, since last year, uh, real good trouble with the damn white flies, and I thought uh-huh. I had them taken care of this year, and uh, they come back, and they eat my tomatoes up. I got a good crop this year in my garden, and uh, now it's uh, they're all brown. So mm. there is there probably is no guarantee to get rid of them, but I've tried multi things, and I have no luck. Well, Every time you hit the plant, you little clouds of them. Yeah, the, your soaps are the very best thing, the so-called insecticidal soap. And I'm mm-hmm. liking even better this new mixture of spinosad and insecticidal soap. They simply call it spinosad soap. And mm-hmm. uh, it's it's the only thing out there 
that gets the eggs, the larvae, and the adults all at the same time. Problem is just, you know, getting it on them. It's one of those things you can't use anything that's taken up by the plant or it wouldn't be safe for you to eat the fruit. So right. you got to get in there. I like to use a little pump-up sprayer with a wand on it that I can just kind of stick up in the middle of the plants. It's just it's just hard to really get thorough coverage. I'm sure your tomatoes are as thick and bushy as mine. But uh, that insecticidal soap, um, and especially the spinosad soap, is going to be your absolute best control on white flies. Now, next year, if they have been a real problem, you might consider putting out some sticky traps. Um, that's one thing the white flies love. They're really attracted to that yellow background, and uh, it's an old-fashioned way of controlling insects, but sticky traps are one thing that usually work pretty well on white flies. Uh, yeah, I tried that last year in my ones I have down here on the patio in pots, <clears throat> but uh, up in the in the main garden, which is about 18 by 20, uh, mm-hmm. I really don't have a good place that, you know, will just blow all over the place and end up with full of leaves, probably. Well, just, but, you uh, know, uh, take some garden stakes. Just uh, mm-hmm. uh, get a, get an old chunk of two-by-two two or an old cedar branch or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just stick in the ground or, for that matter, you can put a T-post in there. And right. uh, it's it's be worth the effort to uh, have fewer white flies to deal with. Alrighty, And, and the sticky craps you're talking about are the yellow yeah, the yellow for me seems to work best. Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've had white fly problems, but uh, yeah. yellow always worked best for me. And uh, it's just, you know, you know how they come. It's, it's almost like a real heavy-duty paper with a peel-off uh, kind of wax paper on uh, on the front of it. And you just put them out there, and uh, the white flies can't get anywhere near they land, and, and they're stuck. They're not going to leave. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> All righty. Well, I'll give that a shot. Shot next year because I'm gonna yeah pick up some uh, of that spinosad soap too that that'll really be a big help to you. I will do that. Thank you for all your help. I appreciate it and have a good one. Always a pleasure, Webster. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Goodbye. Certainly. Goodbye. All right, uh, Gary is up next. Good morning, Gary. Hey, morning, Bob. Love your show. Morning. Thank you. Uh, I'm looking at planting some olive trees. Uh, What is the best variety you would recommend uh, here in New Braunfels? In New Braunfels, you know, the the fastest growing, probably most productive olive tree is going to be Arbicania. Um, slightly more cold hardy, and if you're going to plant more than one variety, I might plant Mission. But Arbicania is going to, Arbicania sometimes gets into uh, sort of an every other year production. You get real heavy crop one year and not so much the next. But Arbicania is still probably the most productive tree, and uh, it's only going to live about 100 years, whereas Mission might live 300. But 100, 100 should take care of you pretty well. But uh, um, I, that that's probably where I would start. Uh, you can call Sandy down at Sandy Oaks Olive Orchard and see if she has any more updated suggestions, but uh, that's what she advised me, and I haven't heard anything different, so that's still what I'm recommending. So, so about how big do those get? You know, it you can prune to keep them smaller if you want, but they would like to be 12 to 15 feet tall and 10 feet wide. 
Mission's going to get a little bit bigger. Mission's probably going to make a 20-foot tree. But Arbicania is probably, in fact, I'm looking out the back window at a couple of pretty nice-sized ones that are, you know, about 6, 8 feet tall. They're, they're going to top out at 12 to 15. Okay. And then can you start those in containers and then transfer those over uh, in the ground? You can, but I don't really see any reason to do that. If you have, if you know where you want to have them, I'd just go straight into the ground with them. Containers are, containers are, they're convenient, but especially in the summer months, if you've got something in a black plastic nursery can, the temperature of the soil inside that black plastic is going to be about 10 or 15 degrees hotter than air temperature, whereas in the soil, the roots are going to be about 10 to 15 degrees cooler. So given the option, if I know where I'm going to plant them, because I don't want to have to dig them up and move them later, but I'm going to go directly into the ground with them if they're uh, anything from a one-gallon size container on up. Okay. And w- when's the best time to, to put those in the ground? About 10 years ago. <laughs> second best second best time is going to be uh, whenever you can. I think you've got probably another month of good planting time this summer. If we get into the fall, not knowing what the winter's going to be, I'm probably going to wait and plant them in March. But you've got another 30 days that I'd feel pretty good about getting them in the ground. Okay. Okay. That answers it, Bob. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the call, Gary. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. All right, uh, two Marys up next, and uh, I don't know how to distinguish one from the other, except that if you hear a click on your phone line, the volume changes just a little bit. Well, you're the Mary that I'm talking to right now. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It's going to be a it's going to be a real nice day out there. Yes, yes. Um, I'm a first time caller, but well, I appreciate I, that. I'm, I'm into because of you, I'm into organic gardening. But, <laughs> Good. <laughs> but um, I have a question about our St. Augustine lawn. Okay. It was apparently eaten by grubs early uh-huh. this year. We didn't know what was going on. And I called Shades of Green, and they said that's what it was, and to bring a sample in. And we did that. Then they suggested uh, we fertilize with uh-huh. organic uh, fertilizer and put a thin layer of garden soil on the lawn. Is there or anything compost. else we can do? Well, of course, you know, regular watering, uh, weekly watering. The problem with grub worms is by the time you see their damage, uh, it's pretty widespread. Uh, the grub worms, of course, the larval state of June bugs, and what you need to do next spring is keep an eye out around your porch light and when you start seeing June bugs, it's time to put out your beneficial nematodes, and you can control those grub worms virtually 100%. But by the time, because what the, the young grubs, and these little bitty ones are called the first and second larval instars, by the time you start seeing their damage show up, they've done a, just had a devastating impact on your grass. And even if you were to kill them all immediately, things are going to get a lot worse before they start getting better. So in this case... Um, being proactive now and used to be the reason they called them june bugs is because they always showed up in june nowadays they show up anytime from march all the way through august so anytime you start seeing a significant number of them 
around your porch light, I would get some beneficial nematodes and put them out. The beneficial nematode lives for about uh, 60 days in the soil. And so it's, you know, I, I don't ever recommend putting them out by the calendar. I'm just going to watch for the uh, June bugs. When I see those, I'm going to put them out, and you're going to head off your problems pretty much 100%. But right now, um, uh best thing you can do is some good organic fertilizer. Uh, when it cools off a little bit this fall, I'd probably think about putting a thin layer of compost over there. And beyond that, it's just patience because that grass has to get some roots going, and then with a little bit lower temperatures, it will start spreading back into those dead areas. Oh, all right. Thank you so much. I also have one more question about St. Augustine. Our backyard is beautiful, but I noticed that it's showing a little bit of yellowing in some spots. And when was the last time you fertilized? Uh, just about a week ago. Okay. <laughs> the same okay. time we did the front, we did the back. <laughs> okay. It just hasn't had time for the fertilizer to really go to work. Yellowing can be caused by lack of nutrient, can also be caused by getting a little bit dry. It's probably a combination of those two things. Um, the the once grass, once any plant is yellowed, that yellow part probably is not going to turn green again. So it's not going to change a lot until it starts putting on some new growth. But, uh, you know, you fertilized, you've done everything you need to do there. Now it's time to uh, be a little patient with it, water weekly, and uh, it will definitely green up this fall for you. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate well, it. Don't wait so long to call me again. I'm always here for okay. you, and I appreciate the call. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Goodbye.